Thank you for tuning into Destiny House Church as we seek to draw closer to Jesus. We're so glad you've joined us today. Please enjoy this message by Pastor Court or one of the other anointed speakers as we pursue the Father's heart. Daddy, this spider? 
Is Spider-Dad? No, Cooper, I'm just trying to break you a fear of spiders. Candace will hide behind a corner and jump out. Oh, Mama, you scared me. Oh, Daddy, you scared me. Oh, yeah, you don't have a three-year-old in your house. Stop awing me. I only give you all the finer points. I mean, do you, do you see me getting up here and preaching about poop on the wall? No. That's the sermon title, though. It's poop on the wall. Somebody write that down. I'll forget it. You know, it, it's funny. We, we have this phrase that we've heard. Oh, man, that almost scared me to death. Probably not a good confession, by the way. But I'm hoping that the message today will scare you to life. So I feel like I feel like the Lord is ready just to split us open in this church and in this community. I feel like this this spiritual Red Sea is about to be split open in this area. And you know, 24 years ago, just about six months after I got out of Bible college, I received an opportunity to do devotions and, and preach for about 12 minutes every Friday morning. Some of you have told the story to you about 5 a.m. Fridays. And so I would get up real early and I would leave the Woodlands area and I would drive to downtown Houston and I would walk into the Harbor Light Center of Salvation Army. And, um, you know, usually I would take the stairs because I was so afraid that the elevators weren't going to work that morning and I'd get stuck, which did happen a few times at Salvation Army. I'm just, I'm a little claustrophobic about elevators, so I don't really like them. And uh, so I would take the stairs and all the way up the staircase, there was just this resounding sound of all these baritone voices of men singing praises to God. And I remember right when uh, about two years before that, Shout to the Lord came out. And these men would be singing Shout to the Lord, and I would, I would get there. They said, you know, you're not allowed to get there until right at 5 a.m. because we do a lot of things before, and so if you're not there by like 5.02, you can't get in the door. And so I would get there right. I'd park my car, and, and I would wait, and the doors would open, and I'd, I'd get upstairs as fast as I could, and I'd... I was just so excited. And, and, and my preaching back then, well, I think it was probably a lot different than now. Because it was just all baby Christian exuberance. I probably didn't know half the things I was talking about. I probably didn't have revelation of half the things that I was talking about. But I went in there and it was just unadulterated, pure preaching. I didn't have the thought of, I wonder who's going to be offended today. I didn't have the thought of, am I going to get an email from somebody that didn't like something that I said? I, I had no thoughts. I just went in there and, and, and preached the word for 
10 or 12 minutes and these men received it. And every Friday morning, there was new men in the program and new homeless that had come in the night before and decided to enter into the nine-month program. And every single Friday, there in that 12-minute span, there were men throwing their bodies on the ground, getting saved before God, accepting Him as Savior. And I could do nothing but be in awe. That's still probably my favorite preaching place. And, and you know, 24, 25 years of ministry, it's my favorite because there was no preconceived idea of what service was supposed to look like. There weren't any leaders. It was just me and all these guys addicted to drugs and alcohol that were desperate to get out of that lifestyle, that culture, that bondage. And I, I just wonder today that if you guys came into this building every Sunday and every Wednesday and every outreach and everything that we do, and you came in here with that heart of exuberance saying, God, I want to give all of myself to you right now. I wonder what would happen to your life if you would just surrender to him. I met with somebody yesterday, and it was a great meeting, and I, I love this person. It's the first time I ever met them. But they would not hear the word of God. My expectation is, man, this, this person is going to accept Jesus. And it didn't happen. Because it doesn't always happen according to court's agenda. Over the years as I preached, I had the same attitude as a chaplain. When I started out as a part-time chaplain in Clear Lake, Texas, I had to drive 72 miles to get to work every day. And I drove to Clear Lake, and I, I made my $16 an hour as a chaplain, which was a very high rate back then, and I worked my 20 hours a week, and that expanded. And they told me where I want to start. And hey, you, and some of you have told this story to you, you've got to be ecumenical. If it's a Muslim family, you've got to become like a Muslim. And if it's a Jewish family, you've got to become Jewish. And if they're this or that, you've got to become this or that. And internally, I was, I was signing the document. Some of you may not agree with this, but it's okay, because, because God told me what to do. And God said, don't listen to what man mandates about how you're supposed to minister. I am the one that has called you to be by the bedside of this person that is on their way to hell. And you're going to speak life into them. And so it went. I was unafraid to get fired. I was unafraid. I didn't have anything to lose. My dad had just died. I was grieving. I didn't want to be in the ministry anymore. And God threw me into this foreign ministry. I, I had no use for the church at that point. I was sick of church. I was sick of the politics of church. I was sick of, of big church business. I was sick of uh, dictatorships. I was sick of people treating people badly and saying, oh, this is the Holy Ghost thing to do. So for a short period, God didn't have me going to church. 
And I was ministering. And man, the souls just were stockpiling. Every nursing home and every hospital that I walked into, I had this expectation and it stemmed from what happened with the Salvation Army. And so there was, a, there was a confidence, not in me, because I don't have any confidence in myself. Don't you guys get that? Yeah. I've got confidence in God. Because I know that God has already given us the victory. He's already performed the miracle. Stop asking Him to do something. He's already done. I'm getting angry this morning. It's okay. I need my pulse to come up. This is my one cardio session of the, the week. <laughs> Praise God. I'm working on it, I swear. Oh, I just love chicken fried steak, but it's going to kill me. <laughs> How have things changed over the years? The church has become, a, in a lot of ways, a very consumer Based social club. It's become a place where people come in and then <clears throat> don't really stay for any significant amount of time. They come in and they leave because they didn't get the sermon that made them feel good about themselves. They didn't get the song that made them feel good about themselves. They didn't get the pat on the back from the pastor or the hug that they were looking for. They didn't get this. They didn't get that. And then they are, are tossed to and fro and they let the enemy change their perception and they put them on the wrong road in the wrong place, maybe even the wrong church under the wrong pastor. And so goes the, the doom and gloom of, of not being rooted and committed because when you are not rooted and you are not faithful and you are not committed, you're going to have a hard time staying committed to God. I know, I've been there. I want to say a few things this morning. Starting in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. You can turn there real quick while I drink some water if you have a Bible. In Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, <clears throat> born under the law. To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, in verse 6, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through who? Through Christ. So we look at these first seven scriptures here. Um, or these first few scriptures here from verse 4 to verse 7. And we see about four different things happening. First, we see that, that the, the, the writer gives us, uh, the Holy Spirit gives us um, the incarnation. He talks about, and these first three things are all external things. He talks about the incarnation of Christ. Then he talks about the redemption of Christ, that he brings redemption. And then he talks about the legal contract the transaction of adopting us into the body of Christ. When we adopted Cooper less than three years ago and everything was final, even though we knew he was ours legally based in America, he wasn't ours yet until, uh, you know, for me, for Candace, it was when 
the documents came in for me, it was when the Social Security card came in. Right? Because, because legally that's all a part of the adoption process. Now you have gone through all the legal things. You have paid what you needed to pay, whatever fees you needed to pay. And now this kid that, that was on his way to abortion a few months ago, God saved him and placed him with us. We legally and spiritually adopted him into our family. Right? And so Galatians here says that the, you have become sons, you've become daughters, you have come into the adoption of Christ. So, so all of those three things, the incarnation, the redemption, and the legal transaction were all external. Now, in this final verse here, in verse 6 and 7, he says, and because you are sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Now, many of you, we see Jesus in Mark 14, 36. I just want to set a, a quick tone. I'm going to uh, preach a little bit more lengthy today than I usually do just because it's needed. And it says in Mark 14, 36, you guys know it well. In verse 36, Jesus cried, Abba, Father. He said, Everything is possible for you. Take this cup for me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. You know, he says this and he speaks in Aramaic here. And we know that Abba and, and the crying out of Abba is not something that we can do on our own. I just read it. It is the Holy Spirit joining in our spirit. See, whether you understand this or not, every single person on this planet is a spirit. They are a spirit, they have a soul, and they live in a body. That's true. Whether they know Jesus or not, whether they are Muslim, whether they are Jewish, whether they're this, they're that, they are alive right now because the Lord wills it to be so. But don't miss this part. This legal transaction, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, not religion, but when you accept Jesus as your Savior, immediately the Holy Spirit comes to dwell on the inside of you. You cannot cry out, spiritually speaking, Abba Father without the working and the groaning of the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. This isn't some just rampant phrase that we see in the Bible. Jesus cried, Abba Father. And I'm going to tell you, it, it, there's two definitions here. When he says Abba Father, when he's crying, yes, there is an element of torment. But don't miss the fact that it was also the inner turmoil of dying for the sins of the world. And in that, when he said, Abba, Father, he is saying, I have joy in doing this for my kids. If you're a good mom and you're a good dad, you won't think twice about dying so your kids can live. We see in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves 
A lot of people think that when you become a Christian, it's all about rules and regulations and laws. That's not it at all. It's about freedom. It's about freedom under, now this sounds like an oxymoron, but it's freedom under the free lordship of Jesus Christ. He says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption. What? To sonship. Man, if, 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 oh man, if I could just get this today. If I could just get this today. That we are not only titled as sons and daughters of God. He actually Feels that way about us. Why? Because he literally paid for you. Come on, you got to give him a hallelujah for that. Maybe amen. Maybe a Southern Baptist. Uh huh. There you go. I hear some of the Southern Baptists are. You're, we're getting you. We're getting you on the road to heaven one day. Praise God. You know, it, it's, it's amazing to me how easy it is to live your life more concerned about what people think about you than what God thinks about you. I've done it. There was a time, <clears throat> I've done it here. I've done it everywhere that I was at when I entered into mainstream church life. When I entered into being a pastor. And what I noticed is there were times when I would still preach what God wanted me to preach. But, but there was always that part of me, not always, but sometimes there was that part of me that was reserved. And, 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 and didn't push the eject button all the way. How many, how many of you know you can't halfway be saved? You can't halfway e eject yourself into the kingdom of God without what? Repentance. And so I, I, for some sermons, I would come right up to the button. I'd be like, oh man, you know what? And, and here's where the enemy does this to all of us. You know what, Court? If you... Push that button. You're going to lose that group of people. It's my thoughts. But God would say, Court, if you push that button, not only are you going to lose that group of people, but I'm going to make it my intent that you lose that group of people because that will make room for who really needs to be there. I was like, no, God, <laughs> I'm not into that. <laughs> and there's plenty of times, man, I've pushed the button all the way and I've been, oh, thank God. And of course, but here, here comes the mortal church life ramifications of actually preaching the entirety of the word of God. It's not about me. It's about God's voice being heard in this, this last season of the earth, which is called the dispensation of grace. And the dispensation of grace says right now to all of you, you still have a little bit more time on the clock. 
to get right, but it's running out. Okay, so here's where I want to start the sermon this morning. Now that sounds like a joke, but I'm actually serious this morning. First John chapter 3, let's, let's camp here for just a few minutes. Starting in verse 1 in 1 John chapter 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Now get this. All who have this hope, what hope? Seeing Jesus as he is, right? All who have this hope in him, he doesn't say I will purify you, but you purify yourselves. <laughs> Just as he is pure. So purification comes through the hope of seeing him. The hope of his presence. The hope of his coming. The hope of his touch. The, to the hope of being able to touch his nail-scarred wrist. The hope of seeing the gash in his side. The hope of God's presence, that is what purifies us, is the expectation of seeing Him. And if we can get that deep down in our heart of hearts, I said it last week, I'll say it again, your life is going to become so much smoother if you stop stressing about this current world. This world and stressing about it is not worth the time you're investing. Why? Because if you invest your time in Jesus, now you're actually changing the world around you. Any parent in here help a situation with their kids growing up by worrying about them? The helicopter philosophy of parenting and pastoring and leadership doesn't work. You know why? Because we as parents and leaders cannot insulate anybody from this world. Only the blood of Jesus insulates. And for most of the world, that is a very insulting thing to say. You mean, I got to give credit to Jesus for everything? Yep. That's exactly right. You mean I shouldn't give credit for pastor for the message or I shouldn't give credit to my surgeon? No, don't give credit to people. Give credit to God. Because what happens is you start taught, you get into people worship. Yes. Oh, pastor, you should have heard that message on TV the other day. Oh, man, that preacher, he's so amazing. He's so awesome. My Lord, it's not a puppy. You can talk that way about puppies and God doesn't mind. But when you start 
leveraging people and getting people excited about a person, we are no longer in the will of God. It is not about a person, a gift, a personality, or anything. It is about the person of Jesus Christ. Him and Him alone. Some of y'all need to wake up this morning. I'm gonna, I'll preach another hour. I got it, I got it in me at this age. What keeps you up at night? Well, Pastor, we're, we're, we're holy and righteous. We don't, we're not concerned. We're not worried. We sleep like babies. Well, maybe you do, but I don't. Because part of my call is a burden that God has placed in me, a burden for people, a burden for my family that's unsafe, a burden for you. You folks in here today that claim to know Jesus, but the fruit of your life still looks like the world. That is not what a Christian is. You can hate me. You can cuss me out. You can never come back again. But guess what? I'm going to tell you, God is proud of me for getting in your face and telling you, if you are not worshiping Jesus in sincerity, are you truly a disciple of his? Yes, I should have said that, Satan. See that? You see that? That's what the enemy does. And one little pause, the enemy will try to make you secure, but Satan, we come against you and all your principalities and powers, and we say that we are the risen inheritance of Jesus Christ in these latter days, Father. And thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. Now, this is going to be the very difficult part for some of you here and some of you may be listening later for you to digest. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness or rebellion. Verse 5. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Here we go. You ready? Tell me if you're ready. Are you ready? Ready. ready. No one who lives in him keeps on sin. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. What does the word known mean? It means relationship. It means intimacy. It has nothing to do with church life. Knowing him as a father knows a son, as a son knows a father. And he goes on to say, dear children... Do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Now here, in most American churches right now at this very hour, a pastor would stop at this very moment and they would say something to the effect of, I read all that, but listen, God knows your heart. 
God knows all about. That's true fact. Everybody can agree that's a true statement. But then they go on to say, God will take care of that. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. You have nothing to fear with God. He's always in your corner. None of the last three lines that I said are biblical. How do I know that? I just read it. Pay attention. Dear, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. No one who does what is righteous, uh, no one who does what is right is righteous just as he, excuse me, the one who does right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. I know y'all don't like this. I know you don't. I'm going to get some feedback on it. But what I'm reading to you is not my opinion. This should stir you. There should be an earthquake on the inside of you, shaking you. The Apostle Paul says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. He didn't say work out your salvation with rainbows and daisies and great weather in Ohio. That's through the weather and thing where I came from. It's pretty out there. Yeah, let's talk about the weather now and take a break from this. Um, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Let me push the button a bit more here. There's two types of people in this world, whether they know it or not. There's people that love Jesus and are going to heaven, and there's everybody else. Now, some of you don't even believe that statement because you haven't read the word enough to know that that's actually true, but I just read it to you. And I'm going to read some more. Verse 9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Does that mean you're not going to stumble? Of course you're going to stumble. Does that mean you're not going to make a mistake? Of course you're going to make a mistake. Does that mean you're going to have an absolute sin? Of course you're going to make mistakes. You are living in a fallen world and you're only righteous because of him. But staying in sin, living in sin, camping out in sin, staying there and believing that you are a Christian is not God's definition of Christianity. And I prefer you not to shake your heads in agreement with me right now. I would prefer you really think about what the scripture is saying right here. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to warn you that the line and the narrow road that few are on and few find it. And the broad road over here, it's broad because so many are on it. Why is that the case? Because there's a lot of people that believe that they're serving Jesus. 
but they are serving the prince of this world. They are serving this world. You either are sold out to Jesus. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you're flawless. You're certainly not that. I'm certainly not that. But it does mean that you are daily making an attempt. God, I, I repent of all the stupid stuff I thought about and did. I don't want to do that anymore, God. Listen to this. King David in Psalm 51, 1 to 3 and 10 to 11, he says, have mercy upon me. God, hold on. Let me just tell you. This is, this is after David was carrying the sin of murder and adultery. And he says, have mercy on me, God, upon me, God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me through thoroughly from my inequity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. In other words, my sin is before me unless you take it away. How arrogant we are to believe that God is okay with our habitual sin. How arrogant we are to screw up our marriages online because you think you're not caught and you didn't get found out. But guess what? Right when you clicked on that picture, God knew it before you did it. I know y'all want everything to be beautiful confessions. But would you consider in this day and age that a beautiful confession is Jesus, the Father, saying to any of you, I never knew you. Does that sound like a positive? Are you uplifted with the fact that God is going to say to somebody, to people one day, I hope nobody in he's going to say, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of inequity. Does that, does that feel, does that give you chills? It scares me to death and it scares me to life. It makes me realize, listen, God is not playing around when Jesus comes back. He's coming back with a sword. He's not coming back on a donkey. There's a Michael English song. The title of it is called uh, Please Forgive Me. Some of the lyrics are, My sleep is gone, my heart is full of sorrow. I can't believe how much I've let you down. I dread the pain of, of, that awaits me for tomorrow. The sun reveals my broken dreams scattered on the ground. Please, please forgive me. I need your grace to make it through. All I have is you. I'm at your mercy, Lord. I'll serve you. Yeah, that's what God is looking for. Whether you guys agree with this theology, it's not my theology. It's written right here. So, Pastor, are you saying, 
Let's just clarify because I want to answer this question before you all ask me later. Pastor, are you saying that I'm not saved if I'm practicing and staying in sin? And then also, am I not saved? And we, we, we look at this last line, last line here in verse 10. He says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. Nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Hmm. Not my words. His words. Well, pastor, you interpret it different than I. Please read what the word of God is saying here. So pastor, are you saying I'm not saved if I'm constantly practicing and staying in habitual sin? Am I not saved because I don't love my brother and sister? No, I'm not saying that. But God is. God is saying that. You know, Time really is short. That's not a sales pitch. I've struggled many times in my life with habitual sin. And God got me to a place of maybe to like an Elijah place. The prophet Elijah was a man that loved God. God used him mightily. He would, he could, the Lord used him to destroy the enemies of God, the, the enemy priests, Jezebel's army, Jezebel's people, Jezebel's priests, her leaders. God used, and then, and just a few hours later, Jezebel makes a threat to Elijah. Now, granted, this was a threat coming not only from a woman, but it was coming from a demonic spirit in this. Threat was, I'm coming after you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you. I'm going to do all I can to make your life miserable. And what did, what, did, what did this man of God do? He listened to that voice of depression and fear. And he sat down under a broom tree. And he begged God to go ahead and just kill him. Why do we feel that way? There's a lot of different reasons we can preach on. But I believe one of them is the, the dread. And the hurt that he was so bold for God in one moment. And in the next moment, he was in fear and struggled with his faith. He was in turmoil the same way that David was. And, and keep in mind, God said that David had his heart. The heart of a worshiper. A murderer and adulterer has the heart of a worshiper for God. Why? Because in an instant when you come to God and you say, Father, forgive me for this habitual sin. Forgive me for this, 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 this cycle that I'm on, this repetitive cycle. God, forgive me. I want this broken today. I don't want to live with it anymore. And if it's going to keep going, God, just take me out now. 
nothing wrong with praying like that. Or you can say, hey dad, you know, I know you're upset about the sin a little bit, but I'm just not there yet. But I know everything's going to be okay, even if I stay in this sin. Because this sin is so little compared to all, look, God, at all the sin in my past life. Look at how amazing I've done, God. God says, no. I demand all of you. And God demands so much about this from me and all of us that I'm risking losing some of you today. Because, and this once again, this is not about me. Either you want to go deeper in the Lord or you don't. And I'm going to tell you, I, man, people, the enemy has used people to wreak havoc in my life because I have allowed it to happen. Satan doesn't have any power over me or you. He only has the power that you grant to him. It's like a vampire. Stay with me. Don't be laughing. I know some of you are still celebrating Halloween. We'll talk about that later. Uh, Jamie, please don't wear that Jason mask in service anymore. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Uh, now I feel terrible. Wow. Lord, forgive me. I'm going to die right now again. I have no idea what I was about to say, right? But listen, here's the bottom line. We serve a God that a dad that wants all of us. And being able to be a child and cry out, Abba, Father, with his spirit in me, his spirit in isn't that enough? Isn't it enough that God has sent his son to die for? Isn't it enough? The issue with the church may be that we don't need to add more programs. We don't need to add more accountability. We don't need to add more of this and more of that. What we need to make sure is that people are actually saved. Yes. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe the problem with people acting nutty and crazy all the time is not because they are immature Christians, but maybe the problem is that they're not actually Christians at all. The line is few. I want to give you a very brief example and then we will close. Praise team, y'all can make your way up here. I want you to picture a giant ocean. I want you to picture an ocean filled with people. Millions upon millions, maybe even billions of people that are in this ocean and they are all floating around and stacked together in this ocean and they're floating around because they all, every single one of them has a life jacket. 
And I, I just, I equate that to where the world is right now. I look at this ocean, I look at these people, I look at these life preservers that they have on. And one thing that you notice, if you've got that vision in your mind of that ocean with all those people and all those people wearing life jackets, you look at all those people, you really don't know who knows how to swim or not because they're all being preserved on top of the water. I wonder what would happen with those millions or billions of people in that spiritual ocean before God if you took off their life jacket. Who would remain up in the faith because they built their faith in Jesus in the prayer closet instead of the church house? I wonder what would happen if we got to the revelation that many of us have been propped up for years by the church. Propped up by a pastor. Propped up by a ministry, propped up by a class, propped up by a teacher, propped up by a mission, propped up by a philosophy, a, a vision. But you know, it's the, it's the one that we should be propped up by and preserved by is Jesus and his sacrifice. Now listen, here, I want to say this to you because I, I don't want people to, to say that I'm, I'm once again downing the church. And I am down about the church in a lot of ways, the church in general. We need to know God. And, and knowing God means being able to communicate with him in faith, not religion. Some of you have been so propped up in church for so many years that it, you, you haven't really learned to put your faith in God. You, you put your faith in man, in events, in giving, in, in, in doing outreaches, and all those things are good. I'm not taking away from all the great things that this church does and other churches do around that serve. Others. We're supposed to be doing that. But those things should not be propping us up. So I wonder who in here today has been propped up by the wrong things. Let me give you some proof in Scripture of this. And I would say even with my own kids. should have allowed God to do that. I'm not talking about not encouraging people. But you can't be anybody's savior. And if you think you are, then you think you're God. The only person that saves is Jesus through you. Here's the proof. Many are going to be stunned with what we read here previously in 
Galatians and 1 John, so many other verses about God's judgment, about who his kids really are. But Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 should scare you to life as well. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles, and in your name have a great worship team, and in your name do food outreach, and in your name give to people, give to the homeless, give to you, help orphans, help the widowed. Then we do this all in your name, God, and then he... Verse 23 looks at those, and I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doer. You can have all the morality that you can muster up on this planet. You can be a great man or woman on earth and you can do this and that, and you can avoid this stuff, and you can, whatever list that you have, 